2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: And thank you for joining us again today. We appreciate it and glad that you've let us be part of your day. Lots to talk about today, including a look at the cattle market. What's going on there? Michael Nevue, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, will give us his outlook for the cattle market. Speaking of cattle and the beef industry, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall, will join us today. We'll talk about priorities for NCBA for the coming year. And why they did not sign that letter of endorsement for Tom Vilsack to be the next Secretary of Agriculture. Most ag groups did. NCBA one that did not. We'll find out why. And despite all the work being done to uh, fight soybean cyst nematode, it looks like it's spreading. We'll talk with Iowa State nematologist Greg Tilka about that ongoing battle and the latest information coming up on our program later today. But right now, we start things off with DTN reporter... Todd Neely and Todd uh, how much snow you got there in Nebraska
3: oh Mike we've been buried here in Lincoln we ended up with over 14 inches and uh, I think there's some more coming tonight so
0: uh,
3: it's going to be a while before we're able to get out of the driveway I believe
0: wow over 14 inches there in Lincoln Nebraska I've been watching these snowfall totals A uh, pretty good band of very uh, deep snow a lot of uh, double digit s- snowfall totals yeah
3: yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, we it started snowing early before sunrise yesterday, and it didn't let up until seven o'clock last night. So it was, it was something we hadn't seen in quite a while. It was really kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, you always have kind of be careful when you're when you need moisture and you're asking for moisture, and it's winter time. This <laughs> is what happens sometimes.
3: Exactly right. Yeah, we'll take it though. Yeah.
0: Yep. Good moisture. Keep the snow shovel handy, though, uh, so you can get around. Be careful. All right. Lots of things to talk about. Um, Let's go with biofuels. We've got some good news and some not so good news. Uh, The good news, there are reports out uh, today that um, China has purchased roughly 200 million gallons of U.S. ethanol for delivery the first half of this year. We've been waiting for China to buy U.S. ethanol for some time. This will be very good news.
3: Yeah, this is huge, Mike. As you know, China was uh, among the biggest, if not the biggest, ethanol export market uh, before the trade war started in uh, 2016, 2017. And 200 million gallons doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it is definitely a start. And I think that, uh, you know, there are some signs in the industry that things might be starting to look up a little bit. You know, we've still got capacity that's idled. You know, we've heard anywhere from 10 to 20 percent of ethanol capacity is still idled. But... Um, you know, it's it's definitely when you see that market open up. I think China is one of those is one of those markets that uh, people have really been hoping would open up, and I think uh, I think this is just the beginning. I do think that we're going to see more as this year even goes on as well.
0: So we'll keep a close watch on that. Now on the other side, not so good news. Um, you know, I, I when I heard this story about the Biden administration and the federal fleet and they want to go to all electric i remember when remember when it was big news several years ago when it was announced that the federal fleet would go to biofuels now they're looking to go to electric uh that has to be concerning to the biofuels industry
3: yeah i think so you know there's uh there's a lot of thought coming into this biden administration that you know not only would we see the rfs maybe start to turn in a favorable direction you know in terms of you know, not handing out smaller refinery exemptions and keeping the keeping the law consistent, but uh, I think a lot of people believe that you know from day one we would see this uh, this administration begin to really embrace ethanol and other biofuels and make it part of something much larger than what it is. And I think uh, you know to hear electric vehicles mentioned is it's kind of interesting because we only make you know the vehicle fleet in the United States only makes up about two percent of all. Uh, I should say the electric vehicles in the in the U.S. suite make up only two percent of all vehicles, and so um, you know it's I don't know how many vehicles the federal government would be buying, but certainly you know you'd you'd like to think that flexible fuel vehicles might play a bigger role. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of studies showing that corn ethanol is uh, is very favorable in terms of carbon emissions, and so. Um, I hope that, you know, maybe this is just the beginning. You know, maybe biofuels uh, vehicles will be part of it going forward. But, uh, you know, we've we heard from day one with the Biden administration coming in that, uh, you know, they were heavily in, in support of electric vehicles.
0: Yeah, there's just a, a new study out. You saw it today, again, showing the positive uh, benefits yeah. of ethanol use and cutting carbon commis- uh, emissions. So, yeah, it does make you wonder. I mean, the Biden campaign pledging to uh, support biofuels, but this early, right. uh, th- this early move towards electric makes you wonder. Meanwhile, out in California, where they're trying to move away from uh, liquid fuels and go electric, they're starting to realize <laughs> how daunting a task that is to try to make that kind of a conversion.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, with their low-carbon fuel standard out there, they've they've embraced corn ethanol. I mean, they've really had not much of a choice, and as well as biodiesel. You know, that plays a large role uh, in them meeting their demands out in California, and uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I mean, we're seeing an expansion of E85 out there, and uh, you know, it's not an easy conversion, especially when you consider, you know, the cost of electric vehicles and the fact that they aren't mass-produced at the moment. I think it's... Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if the Biden administration can pull this off. I, I don't know, um, you know, I don't know what the cost will be to the federal government, but I'd have to believe it's going to be quite
0: substantial. You know what may be interesting in this after the last four years of the Trump administration trying to walk a fine line down the middle and try to keep the oil industry and the biofuels industry happy, <laughs> and really didn't do a good job of uh, keeping either one happy the Biden administration may come in and bring the oil and biofuels industries together in opposition to the, some of these moves towards electric.
3: Absolutely. Not, you know, not just that, but I mean, we saw the Keystone pipeline to shut down the construction on that. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's uh, there's definitely a swing um, that I, I don't know many people expected. In fact, I think a lot of people, you know, when you heard about the XL pipeline, you kind of figured that, you know, that was something we kind of expected, uh, but the fact that we're also talking about electric vehicles now—it's—it's—it uh, should be an eye-opener for a lot of people about where we're going. Although I do think the biofuels is going to play a role, but I—I um, I would suspect that you know it—it's definitely got people talking and people concerned about what this all really means.
0: Yeah, that's really—I think—the challenge. We've been talking about this for some time. The challenge for the biofuels industry will be: able to, can they make their case, get it convinced? The Biden administration and and new members of Congress that if they're going to make this push, that biofuels has a place in this uh, uh, goal towards uh, climate change.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've seen we've seen the ethanol industry in particular here in the past six or eight months. Uh, They've done quite a bit of work on pushing, you know, pushing the need for ethanol and reducing carbon emissions. And so it's, it's really something ethanol and biodiesel have been at, you know quite out in front on i mean they've been pushing this narrative for for quite a number of years but uh, i think you're right i think we're at a point now where uh, with the biden administration you know here's the chance to make the case and make it strong
0: and and will they listen will they accept uh, the biofuels industry's message that's what we'll find out soon i think yeah todd good to talk with you thanks a lot enjoy the snow all right yeah you too yeah. thank you mike <laughs> Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Up next, a look at the cattle market with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nebu. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more recently on Atoms on Agriculture. Joining us now is Floyd Vergara. He is Director of State Governmental Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. We've had a lot of discussion this week about where biodiesel fits into the push for climate policy and the changes that may be taking place with the new administration and the new Congress going in that direction. Carbon reduction is certainly a big area of emphasis. The state carbon
3: reduction policies are just growing by leaps and bounds. Starting in 2000 you had a basically one state with a comprehensive economy-wide carbon reduction target, and that was California. Five years afterwards, you had the Northeast, and then now you have about half of the country in terms of the state with comprehensive economy-wide carbon reduction goals. Those goals tend to be along the lines of 40 percent reduction by 2030 and 80 percent reduction by 2050.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
2: Adams on Agriculture, agriculture. conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply, information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Well, there's been a lot of
0: attention, of course, on the uh, grain markets lately with the big market rally and some of the ups and downs there. But we want to spend some time focusing now on the cattle market. What is happening there? Joining us is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Michael, thank you for joining us. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we're at with the, with the uh, cattle market right now and the latest numbers we've had out in the cattle and feed report?
4: Well, first off, thank you very much for having me on the show. always enjoy being able to come on. Uh, well, you mentioned cattle on feed. Uh, this report released last Friday uh, came in as a bit of a surprise for a lot of folks. Uh, the biggest surprise in the report was the placement data. Uh, that was up above a year ago um the reason it was a bit of a surprise is it fell outside the range of most pre-report estimates they were calling for lower placements uh, and this was actually up about one percent so placements came in at 1.842 million head uh, again that's about one percent over december 2019 uh, another anecdote along that line is this is the second largest total for december uh since the series began tracking data back in
0: 1996 so why do you think uh The estimates uh, were wrong. I mean, when you look at the numbers, what's behind them, uh, what's going on there, you think?
4: Yeah, so there's actually uh, a little bit more going into the numbers. Like you said, uh, the weight breakdown uh, was interesting. It showed a lot of larger, heavier animals being placed on feed. So um, categories, uh, 700 to 1,000 pounds, they're all greater than last December. Uh, we saw heavy cattle had the largest, they're up about 16%. Um, in the next heaviest uh, category, you get that 800- and 900-pound animals. they the second highest, up seven, 7%. Uh, the lighter weight categories, uh, of those under 700-pound numbers, were actually all below a year ago. So, uh, Additionally, we saw fed cattle marketings were slightly higher than a year ago, come in about a 1% of the prior year, uh, over the prior year, um, a little bit higher than the analysts were predicting. Um you know, overall, your your number of cattle and feed came in pretty even with a year ago. Uh, as a result of getting those heavier cattle on uh, cattle on there, uh, we look at. Um, Sorry, cattle on feed more than 120 days uh, is actually up as well. Uh, that's continuing to increase. Now, this was a bigger deal back in the summer. We saw it spike to pretty historic levels, and that was because of the pandemic. We had a huge backlog of cattle in the system, and we worked our way through over the fall. Uh, but we're also kind of hitting that point of the year where we start seasonally seeing an increase in cattle on feed over 120 days. Uh, so we're looking at uh, higher numbers. Uh, uh, it's increased as up to 6.2 million head, and that's the largest number since July uh, of last year. Again, back when we had that backlog of animals in the in the system.
0: All right, so more production. What about demand? How's beef demand holding up?
4: Beef demand has been holding up pretty strong. I think that was a bit of a surprising uh, storyline that we got out of 2020. Uh, you you know, you talked to. Pretty much any extension professor, uh, any of the folks out there who work in this stuff, and they, they all would have told you uh, at the beginning of the pandemic that we were expecting beef demand to suffer. Uh, you think about why that's the case. It makes logical sense in most recessions. Uh, that's usually a storyline that we see play out. We, we definitely saw it during the financial crisis. And part of that is beef is technically a luxury good. It costs more. It's higher quality. And When people have less money in their pockets, they're going to look for cheaper, more afford- not cheaper, uh, more affordable uh, proteins. Like uh, they're going to move more to poultry, even pork to a certain extent. Uh, so, but this this recession was different in that, you know, we saw a restaurant shut down, but the but not everybody who was losing their job. Uh, was really losing that not, that amount of money. We saw a lot of uh, government support go into people's pockets with the stimulus packages as well as increased unemployment benefits. So people, even though they may have been in a w- realistically not the greatest financial position, uh, because of that artificial push, uh, the injection of capital from the government, they were able to continue spending on things like beef. So uh, beef actually ended up, a, it was kind of almost a fairytale storyline. And then you also looked at export markets were surprisingly strong for mm-hmm. beef as well. Uh, we're looking for 2021 to be a similar storyline uh, in terms of uh, beef demand. Uh, it's, it's, it's shaping up to still be a pretty decent year for beef demand.
0: We're talking with Farm Bureau Economist Michael Nevew, looking at the, uh, the cattle market. So we have uh, um, more production. We have good demand. So when we look at the, the factors here uh, impacting markets and uh, beef producers' profitability, we know one of the big factors now is going to be higher feed costs.
4: Yeah, so th- that's a big question for for beef producers out there. Is this escalating feed costs gonna gonna dampen placements in the coming months? Like we like I said, we had a surprise in the December report, uh, but really, if you look back to to December feedlots in December uh, for the first half, we're still facing a pretty uh, rosy outlook compared to where feed costs uh, have been in early January. Uh, if you take back to December, cash corn average, I think around $4.30 per bushel in Omaha. Uh, you know, the last three weeks or so, uh, not excluding last week, um, uh, was around four eighty, dollars and, and we've seen corn prices well over $5. Uh, you see a similar story in soybean meal. Uh, this escalation, uh, it's, it's a continuation of the trend in grain markets we've been seeing since the end of the summer. Um it's it's going to present a challenge. And then just even going beyond just those kind of feed price, we're also looking at a difficult situation in terms of hay stocks. Um, we are putting ourselves into a position where we might see pretty increased uh, hay prices as well, and you have drought working its way uh, across a lot of key portions of the country where you're going to start seeing uh, deteriorate, potentially deteriorating conditions on how this drought plays out as we move into uh, more grazing months. Sorry if you hear a little bit so of what's your outlook in the background.
0: Yeah, that's okay. What's your outlook for cattle prices? Uh,
4: you know, I, I think that's a difficult difficult question to answer. I know that's a, I always give you the typical economist answer whenever, whenever you ask that. Uh, but I think the cattle market is still going to be focused on what feed costs are doing. Uh, you expect feeder cattle prices to uh, react to those sharp uh, changes in, in feed prices. I think that's going to potentially put a little bit of pressure uh, on feeder cattle moving forward.
0: All right, so when we look at the meat case, be a lot of competition in that meat case, right? I mean beef uh, gonna it's a crowded meat case these days.
4: Yeah, uh, it was a crowded meat case in 2020. I, th- I think that's a continuing storyline that we continue to see. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about beef demand. Well, we also uh, have been seeing some surprising street strength, uh, strength uh, in recent weeks and box beef cutout. Uh, you saw choice values average or about eight, eight, over eight dollars uh, higher. Uh, the, that was one of the largest week over week gains that we've seen in the loin primal uh, as well. That skyrocketed. It was 18 bucks higher. Um, all the choice beef primals increased. Uh, you saw select box beef values increase as well. Uh, you know that's that's a bit interesting for this time of year. If you if you look at the five year average, uh, normally the cutout is gonna Weaken around this time of year, but uh, last year ahead of the pandemic, that decline happened several weeks later than normal. Uh, this year's cutout rally is looking uh, pretty steeper compared to last year.
0: Of course, we've talked a lot about the numbers being up, but uh, you know, we've had a mild winter. We now look at the uh, more winter weather, you know, those patterns becoming more active. Uh, it's always a challenge for uh, livestock producers this time of year.
4: Yeah, I think I think that mild winter is going to be a little bit better. Uh, I haven't seen snow hit the ground where I'm at yet this year, and we're we're already almost at the end of January. Uh, So you know those those conditions are pretty favorable to a lot of folks out there, uh, depending where they are in the country. Um, Yeah, I also mentioned we 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 mentioned maybe more in the short term. You've been looking at. uh, higher placements uh, leading to increased uh, beef production, but when you look at the storyline for all of 2021, uh, we're actually forecasting a moderate decline in production. Um, part of that, it's it's going to be a, a bit of a challenge, but uh, we'll we'll know a little bit more uh, this coming Friday. We get the January uh, inventory, so the USDA puts out a twice a year inventory report. Uh, so we get that a week after the cattle on the feed report came out. So we might have a better better idea on where we are in the cattle cycle and and what the overall trend and and herd size in the U.S. is doing.
0: Yep, that may give may give us a little clearer picture. By the way, uh, that snow that's not on you. It's in Nebraska right now. 14 inches right
4: now. So <laughs> yeah, we, we barely are going to miss that storm.
0: All right, Michael. Thanks a lot. Interesting times and. Uh, as you said, uh, the numbers in that cattle and feed report last week uh, caught some folks by surprise. We'll see where we go from here. Thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you for having me. All right, American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevew. We're going to stay on the uh, uh, the topic of the beef industry. Coming up next, we'll talk with the CEO. Of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What are their priorities for this year ahead and working with the new administration and a new Congress? And why did NCBA not sign the letter of support most ag groups did for incoming uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack? We'll ask Colin about that and other issues for the beef industry. Coming up next, stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away, more Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
1: The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
5: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Raw with a market check here on this Tuesday's trading session. Grain markets are higher across the board. If Monday's gains can be added to today, bulls will be able to breathe a sigh of relief following Friday's washout. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading 15 and a fraction higher at 526 and three quarters. The May contract up 15 at 529 and a fraction. Looking at the soybean contracts, March up 26 at 1360. 69 and a half cent. The May contract up 25 and three quarters at 13.68 and three quarters. For the wheats, March Chicago wheat trading 15 cents higher at 6.63 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March up 14 and a half cent at 6.41 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March up 12 at 6.38. The May contract up 11 and three quarters at 6.46 and a half cent. Moderate gains in livestock trade on Monday sparked renewed buyer support despite a rebound in grain prices and concerns about growing beef stocks. Beef cold storage levels moved to multi-year highs, creating underlining concern about the ability to sustain demand given the rising price levels. April lean hogs trading 90 cents higher on the board of trade at 77.52. The May contract up 77 at 82.02. Looking at feeder cattle, the March contract down a dollar 15 at 142.70. The April contract down 92 at 145.32. April Live cattle trading five cents higher at 132.02, the June contract up 35 at 119.17. $1 in cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning. As much of Nebraska and Iowa feeding areas are blanketed with snow, some early asking prices are starting out at around $114 per hundredweight in the south, but are not yet established in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rawls. Do
6: you know how to keep food safe at home?
2: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
6: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking, and bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
2: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
6: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Always good to talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. Colin, thank you for joining us. A new year, a new administration, a new Congress. What are your thoughts for the beef industry this year of 2021?
7: Mike, to be honest with you, I think we've got some new opportunities. And I know a lot of your listeners are going to scratch their head and go, wait, what did he just say? But that is the way that we're approaching this new administration i know that within agriculture there's a lot of concerns about what the new administration is going to bring and a whole host of topics everything from taxes to the environment but we have made a very focused and concerted effort To reach out to the new administration we started with their transition teams and we're continuing that now that the president is fully on board and making sure we're having those conversations with his nominees for the different cabinet spots to talk about what our priorities are and where we want to go and to be honest with you I think we've had some really good feedback in some cases some very surprising feedback and a great example of that is what we saw with our conversation with the EPA administrator nominee Michael Regan from North Carolina he was very open Uh, he was very interested in learning more about cattle industry and said that he would have an open-door policy in dealing with us. And I think that's all we can ask at this point in time is just to have access and have the opportunity to visit with him, and that's what we're going to do, Mike. We're already doing that. And like I said, I think uh, that that optimism is something we're going to try to maintain as we uh, just set the, the basic relationship between the cattle industry and President Biden and his team.
0: So you stay optimistic until you see reason not to.
7: You know, that's the only way you can do it. If you want to be effective, I think you have to go in with an open mind uh, and a willingness to uh, to talk. You know, We had a, a former NCBA president from Nebraska, J.D. Alexander, who you to say that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And I think that very much applies here. If you're not willing to go to the table and have the conversation, then you are definitely going to be the target. And if you step back and you look at all that we have seen from this administration thus far on climate change. It is clear that that is a priority and is going to be a priority for the president over the next four to eight years. And so for us, uh, we need to really capitalize on some of the memos that have already been put out in regards to how they view agriculture. And they view agriculture as being part of the solution and I think that is a very positive place for us to be. They also recognize that within agriculture, there are differing views about what climate change truly is, but the fact that they also recognize that, I think, is important, because it's going to give them the right mindset to try to have a productive conversation with all of us, whether it's the cattle industry, corn industry, uh, all of us engaged in agriculture to talk about what we can do, and, and that's what we have to focus on as, uh, as ag, but for us as the cattle business, spotlighting all the great work that we have done over the years, and talk about a commitment to continue uh, improvement. You know, we, we want to make sure that we're always getting better. We're going to do that regardless of what the EPA says. So we've got to figure out how we package that and show our willingness to improve ourselves and also, again, really showcase that track record of the great work that we have been doing for years now.
0: Yeah, I think everyone in the ag community, all the ag groups basically are doing that, recognizing that this administration, this Congress is going to push hard on climate issues and uh, agriculture making its case that uh, it's part of the solution, not part of the problem. Uh, we're talking Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. You talked about uh, President Biden's choice to head up EPA. That's Michael Regan. What about the choice of Tom Vilsack to come back to USDA? Most ag groups have endorsed that move. Your group is one that did not sign that letter of support uh, for his uh, nomination. Why?
7: We didn't sign it because we actually sent our own letter, Mike, and that went out yesterday, uh, signed by NCBA and our state affiliates. So we always feel that when we engage, it's better to speak on behalf of the cattle industry and not on bigger coalition letters like that. So we have also uh, expressed our support for uh, Secretary Vilsack to come back and reprise his role but our letter was focused on uh being a, a cattle industry letter. As I said, that was transmitted to uh to the Senate AG Committee yesterday, so that way they have that as they prepare for that hearing. Because we we know, Secretary Vilsack, we had eight years to get to know him and work with him, uh, he had eight years to get to know and work with us. So we find that a, a positive that we're we're not starting from scratch with the new Secretary of Agriculture. We know somebody who has had that role. Uh, he gets the the nuances of the cattle business. He also gets the areas where we're going to agree, and he gets the areas where we're not going to agree. So uh, we we look forward to, to picking up basically where we left off with him four
0: years ago. And. What were some of the areas that you did not disagree with him in the past? Of course, the
7: biggest issue for the cattle industry was the Gypsum rule. You know, we spent the entire eight years of his uh, position as secretary, also there within the Obama administration, fighting that proposal. And it came down very simply to we did not want the government telling us how we could or could not market cattle and we were successful in killing a lot of the really egregious provisions of uh, of that particular rule and so we're hoping just given how um, deep of a fight that was that hopefully he won't come in and dust that off and make that his top priority I'm hoping that some of those lessons learned from those original eight years will spill over here and we can focus on other areas where we can work together and I think one area where he's going to be able to step up is in regards to trade especially with that undersecretary of trade position being in place now he did not have that when he was originally secretary of agriculture so that's a, a new area that he's going to have at his disposal and that's one thing that we're looking at this administration to do more on is to uh, continue their work on trade to try to get us a trade deal with the united kingdom and also to continue to hold china's feet to the fire and the commitments that they made
0: on agricultural trade talking with ncba ceo colin woodall colin um As you look ahead to this legislative session, it looks like an impeachment trial is going to be part of things. Uh, How concerned are you that that puts other important issues on the back burner?
7: Well, it, it definitely pushes everything off. But from our perspective... Uh, that that 's not a bad thing, Mike, because what that does is allows us more opportunity to get in to establish this relationship with the administration, but also build a relationship with the new leadership in the uh, in the Senate now that the Democrats are in control and also to build a relationship with all of the new members of the House and the Senate, so we see that as as a good opportunity to get in there and uh, really talk about our concerns and needs before that legislative um, discussion really starts to, to boil up so so for us we we actually see that as an advantage
0: the investigation started under the previous Department of Justice on cattle markets where's that at does that continue now or is it in limbo or what Well, it is in limbo right now, but
7: I think that as we start seeing more of the uh, nominees get confirmed and and get in their positions, whether they're Senate confirmed or not, I imagine that they are going to pick that up and move with it pretty quickly. And our message has been very clear that that has to be done now. We wanted it done much earlier. And that was one of the things that we had expressed directly to President Trump at the time and then also to uh, the Secretary of Agriculture and to the uh, Attorney General is we need this information. We, We need the results of this because it's going to impact how we all move forward as a cattle industry. So we've maintained that with the transition team and with President Biden. Let's get this done. Let's get the results out there. So that way we have some concrete information to build off of.
0: As you know, there are still voices out there calling for country of origin labeling. There's a push now by the new administration on Buy American. Do you think that's going to become a big issue again?
7: It will. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Country of origin labeling just never seems to, to go away. But what we continue to push for is the recognition that there are other opportunities, in some cases better opportunities, to showcase our product. And we can do that through voluntary means. Uh, there's quite a few programs that are regional or state-based in nature. One that has been extremely successful is uh, the, uh, the Kentucky product program that's going on there where they have worked with Kroger stores in Kentucky to have a branded program, Kentucky Beef. We think that is a great model and one that I believe other states are starting to look at. and That voluntary approach we think has more connection to that consumer than just a, a blanket government-run country of origin labeling program. You know, one of the things that uh, we always get accused of is, well, we're just against labeling. No, we're against mandatory government labeling in regards to country of origin, but we believe that those value-added labeling programs that show some sort of origin, whether that be country, whether that be region, whether that be state, do have value. And that's what we're driving towards, is more people focusing on that and try to get better adoption and to make sure that whatever claims are being made are being validated. That has to be a key component of this discussion. So I think we're going to have the opportunity to continue that push with with this new administration, especially with their Buy American provisions that they have uh, implemented through this executive order.
0: Should be an interesting year ahead. Colin, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Oh, by the way, you've got an event coming up real quick, a virtual event coming up real soon.
7: We do. So it is the 23rd and 24th of February. This is our chance to give everybody an update of what's going on in Washington, D.C., our outlook. Cattle Facts will do their economic session, and we'll have some producer education sessions as well. So go to our website, ncba.org, for more information.
0: Check it out, and we hope later this year, later this summer, we'll be in person for your uh, annual meeting. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Colin. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
1: Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site.
2: Our geeks literally come on site. questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your
1: very own Geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Have you checked the box? A celebration of the gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation. Anyone can check the box and register as a donor, a decision that saves and heals lives. Check the box online by mail or at the DMV. Just go to DonateLifeSD.org to register today and discover inspiring stories of donation from our community.
0: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're talking about how energy companies are balancing propane supply and demand dynamics. We're talking with Tyler Kelly, who leads energy supply analysis at CHS. Tyler, here we are midway into the winter season. What trends are you seeing in propane
8: supply and demand this year? The global pandemic, which has caused you know some extensive propane supply disruptions back in the summertime and that was really related to to the demand destruction of other petroleum products right the transport fuels gasoline and diesel that forced drilling activity to, to really slow down or cease altogether fast forward to today though and we've we've really returned all the way to, back to pre-covid levels of propane production but on the demand side you know when winter weather's been a little bit elusive um, we are seeing a more recent uptick here in in the month of January, and uh, based on the latest forecast that could extend through through the balance of of the heating season um, with with pretty cool temperatures forecast for the Midwest and Plains regions the balance of the year.
0: We remember times in the past when propane was in tight supply. What do propane suppliers do to try to avoid those shortages happening
8: again? Here at CHS, you know we we make it our mission to provide reliable, and diverse supply streams that meet the needs of all our customers in all the different regions. So we own and lease millions of barrels of storage across the country, and that's to, to ensure that you know that propane supply that's being generated year round on a rateable basis is stored and ready and waiting for, for when it's needed. Ensuring that we you've got an adequate amount of storage on site to cover your needs for the course of the season, encourage consumers to, to continue to work with your propane retailers to be sure you've got the right amount of storage and the right price management uh, marketing plans to to cover your needs that's Tyler Kelly who leads energy supply analysis at CHS
0: thanks for joining us around the table learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com you're listening to AOA Adams on agriculture hi this is Mike Adams you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture now back to Mike Adams
0: well we talk a lot about the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode and some of the advances that have been made but um some bad news is that uh, the problem seems to be growing and uh, for the very latest on that we talk with Greg Tilka Iowa State nematologist Greg thanks for joining us uh What's the latest on where you're now seeing more cases of SCN? Well, Mike, it seems like every time we talk, uh, I have a bit of bad news, and and that
9: certainly is the case uh, uh, these days. Um, We just published an updated map of the counties in which SCN has been found, and we survey all of our colleagues um, across the U.S. and Canada in the soybean-producing regions every three to five years to, to make this map. And uh, we did that in 2020. And the map just came out in the journal called Plant Health Progress. And uh, unfortunately, we have uh, 55 new counties reported uh, in 11 different US states. And then to our neighbors to the north, they had new counties and municipalities in the provinces of Quebec, Ontario, and Manitoba. Now, obviously, uh, in the US, it's those 55 that worry us. of the 55, 22, sorry, 29 of the counties were in the state of New York alone, which really probably hadn't been surveyed very well in the past. But we had new counties in all the states that surround, surround Iowa and Illinois to the north and east and, and west.
0: I was going to say, I mean, is this a – what does this tell us? Does it tell us uh, we're we're just – Uh, testing more, so we would find more, or that the problem is really growing?
9: I think it tells us both, Mike. Um, It it certainly is a function of testing, and I mentioned that uh, the crazy high number of 29 new counties in the state of New York, and that was because of a very intensive survey program that they conducted. Um, The ones that trouble me, and, and probably your listenership, Uh, Are all the ones in the Midwestern counties, or sorry, Midwestern states, and those aren't really discovered because of uh, a survey. Um, It's hard to say how they were discovered, but it's a real uh, reality check that it's out there and it's spreading. Um, Again, new counties in Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Michigan.
0: We're talking with Iowa State nematologist Greg Tilka about the growth in uh, um, soybean cyst nematode. I mean, how frustrating is that, Greg? All the work that you've done and the information you're getting out and steps that have been taken to uh, try to fight this profit-robbing pest and then to see numbers like this of it spreading.
9: Well, it's a little bit frustrating, but um, I'm a realist. I've been working on SCN for 30 years, and um, we're not going to eliminate it. Um, And so in some respects, though, the reports of all these new counties are a bit uplifting, and that that means that people are out there and they know what to look for. Um, I doubt very much that they were accidental. Um, They were probably somebody in a particular county or two in a state, that uh, listened to the messages of the SCN coalition and decided to either dig roots during the season and look for the white SCN females or to pull soil samples. So I try and keep an even keel, and I know that we're not going to get rid of it, but I also know that there's many gains to be made by helping farmers realize they need to check their fields. And uh, once they find out they've got it, then they can start managing it to keep it in check
0: Well, the first step in fixing a problem is uh, realizing you have the problem, and I guess we can look at it from that standpoint. More now are realizing that is an issue for them on their farms. So what's the next step for them to take?
9: Well, the first thing is to understand that it's not a death sentence, and it doesn't mean you can't grow soybeans anymore. It just means that you've got to manage it, and you've got to manage it actively. And so I like to send people to the SCN Coalition, their website, thescncoalition.com, and it lays out the management uh, practices, uh, resistant soybean varieties, non-host crops, seed treatments are the big three. Um, That website also lists the um, experts in every state, as well as soil testing labs that do SCN samples. So there's a wealth of information on how to deal with this problem, Um, But, you know, it all starts with knowing where you've got it and uh, what your options are.
0: You know, with soybean prices the way they are now, I wonder, does that cause some farmers to be a little, maybe a little lax, not worry about it as much because prices are so good? Or does that drive them even more to want to take advantage of of these higher prices with uh, reducing those uh, uh, yield losses that are out there because of SCN?
9: Yeah, it, both both situations are at play, Mike. It's interesting you, you state that. So I I was raised in a relatively poor family in Pennsylvania, so um, money was limiting. So we tried to do everything in our power to make sure we weren't losing money or um, wasting money. Um, but I certainly also can understand the mindset that uh, now that beans have had such gains in prices, that the farmers are losing many more dollars per acre due to this. So um, I, I hope, um, I assume there's people out there, both mindsets, and both of those mindsets lead you to pulling soil samples to find out if you've got SCN or digging roots during the season and starting t- to manage it. And uh, it it only gets better uh, after that point.
0: Sitting here late January, looking ahead to uh, the un- oncoming uh, Uh, planting and growing season do we have any signals or indication right now of where we might be with SCN this coming year
9: Um, we really don't Um, if if the the way to grow soybeans was continuous soybeans I'd be really nervous heading into 2021 because there were so many places in 2020 that had drought conditions and SCN loves drought conditions. It, it reproduces extremely well in dry soils. But um, it's, in my opinion, or my experience, relatively rare to meet someone that's growing beans on beans. So the fields that had soybeans in 2020 that might have had really high SCN reproduction um, aren't shouldn't be mostly at play in 2021 for soybeans. But that'll be a message as we end this calendar year, 2021, that I start reminding folks.
0: Mm-hmm. yep always a battle and uh, these latest numbers show us uh, a lot of work still to be done greg as always thanks for the update
9: yep thank you mike good talking to you
0: greg tilka iowa state Pneumatologist. well that wraps it up for today thank you for joining us stay safe everyone hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on aoa